Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. I'm in Luke chapter 19 this morning. If you'd like to follow along in your own in your own Bible, I'm going to just be reading through from Luke uh, 19 verse 28 and on. I I have been talking about the that I would be willing to baptize people. I am I am looking for folks who are interested in being baptized. In, in the church, we have this belief that once a person has accepted the Lord as their Savior, it is the church's responsibility to baptize them. Jesus told us to go and make disciples and baptize them. And so, if you have received the Lord as your Savior and have not been baptized, please let me know and give me the, the privilege of baptizing you next Sunday in our Easter service, if you're, if you're interested in being baptized. I wanted to let you know where we are going. Every once in a while, I try to, to let off like I have a plan. And so I do have a plan moving forward. Next Sunday is Easter. So I'll be here preaching about Easter. I'm really excited about the message that the Lord's laid on my heart for Easter. I think that I think it's a, it's a message that could be transformational for, for folks who maybe haven't heard the message in the way that that I think the Lord's laid it on me to communicate the message of Easter. The Sunday after that is our Faith Promise Sunday, the last Sunday in April, and so John and Shirley Fisher will be here. John and Shirley worked with us in Ecuador, and so we're super excited to have our friends here, and they, they're just incredible people, great, great missionaries. They're retiring, and so they're, they have a year of deputation, so they've been speaking in churches for almost six months straight at this point. They've got it down. We are in good hands. They'll, they'll, they'll give us a good presentation, and we should be excited about what John and Shirley Fisher will be doing. In the month of May, I've been working with a committee of the church and, and our church board to create a, a vision for our congregation and to, in some ways, identify what, what we are and then think a little bit also about who we, who we aim to be and who we believe God is calling us to be as a congregation. We've written it down, and the church board will be kind of finalizing it this, this Tuesday. Through the month of May, there's five Sundays in the month of May, and through the month of May, I'll be preaching about what that vision is. And we'll have some exercises as a result of our vision, because our vision is, is active. And so we, we will be, on a couple of those Sundays, there will be some specific application of the vision that Sunday, either in the evening or right after church. And so May, the first Sunday in May, I think it's May 1st, we will, we will begin that process, and it'll go through, through the month of May. And then summer will be here, we'll be into June the first Sunday of June is Pentecost, the day that we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit being given to the church. And so we will uh, be doing that entire service in Spanish. No, not really. Sorry, Reagan. As long as someone translates. We, we'll be celebrating Pentecost on the, the first Sunday in June. I think it's June 5th. And then into June, I'm planning on, on taking an Old Testament story and following a line of an Old Testament story through through the summer. And so, that's what you get. That's, we'll see. So today's Palm Sunday. I'm actually, I'm, so I'm preaching from Luke. 
And the, the story of Palm Sunday is found in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke, this is a little embarrassing, it's Palm Sunday. Luke is the only Gospel account of the triumphant entry of Jesus that says nothing about palm branches or branches or anything palmy. So we had to bring palm branches in because you wouldn't know otherwise, right? It's, I guess it's, palm, it's triumphant entry Sunday. And we're with palms this, this Sunday because Luke, Matthew talks about, you know, they cut branches. Mark says they waved branches. John specifically says palm branches. Uh, Luke's got nothing about branches. Luke, it's like coat waving Sunday, maybe. I don't know. So my plan, though, is to, to read through this passage. I read it at the beginning of our service, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. My plan is to go through this passage and just read carefully, see what kind of insight we might be able to get from it, and see how the Lord will guide us in praising him. So let's begin in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. I'm going to read verses 28 through 31 first. It says, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward, wait, after telling this story, okay, so maybe we should just stop there. I guess I was intending to read the whole thing, but I'll just, it, it takes us back to what is the story before, right? You can't read after telling this story and not, not wonder what was coming before. So if you turn back, well, you have to turn in my Bible. If you turn back, you see Jesus just finished telling a parable. And he tells a parable about a man, a nobleman, who was called away to be crowned king in a distant country. And before he left to be crowned king, he gave, he had a number of servants. He took 10 pounds of silver and gave it to each of these three servants, at least. And, and one of the servants invested it really well. And he got a return of 100%. He doubled the silver. There was 10 pounds, now there's 20 pounds. And then another servant invested it really well. And he got a return of 50%. And so there was 10 pounds, and now there's 15 pounds of silver. And then another servant, he took the silver, and he dug a hole, and he buried it. So he wouldn't lose any of it. He didn't put it at risk at all. And the nobleman comes back, and he gets an account from his servants. And he's really, really happy with the two servants that invested it well. And, and he says, great job, and he rewards them accordingly. And then he gets to the servant that just buried a hole, and he comes back with his, with his 10 pounds of silver, and he says, why, did, why didn't you at least put it in a bank? Even if you had just gotten a few cents of interest, that would have been better than burying it in a hole and not getting anything for it. And he takes it from that servant, and he gives it to the servant who had doubled his investment. And so the parable is a little, it's a little, at least a little opaque. It's a little hard to understand. It's a little... It's, it's just not super clear. And parables are intended to need some interpretation. Parables require a little bit of interpretation. And so that's, that's normal. And fortunately, Luke doesn't like come right out and interpret line by line what the, what the parable means. But he does give us, if we're reading carefully, he does give us a little hint in verse 11 before the parable is told. In verse 11, Luke says... He told them a story to correct the impression 
that the kingdom of God would begin right away. And so that's not like an interpretation line by line of the parable, but it's at least a reason why the parable is there. And the parable is there to remind people that the kingdom of heaven, there was an impression among the disciples, right? There's an impression that the kingdom of heaven is coming right away. And, and Luke says, he told this parable so that to correct the impression that the kingdom of heaven would come right away. And so we get immediately from that parable into the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and being hailed king. Blessed is he who comes, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. We, we get a story about how the kingdom isn't coming right away. And then and it says, like, Luke is very intentional about saying, after telling this story, it's the same morning. He's, this was the breakfast devotional for the disciples, was the story of the, of the nobleman and the silver, right? The breakfast devotional, same story. And then he goes and he receives a royal welcome into Jerusalem as if he is the king of Jerusalem, arriving, conquering king, being welcomed into his city that he has conquered. The kingdom is not coming. Here comes a king, riding on a donkey, wave palm branches. It, it points to the two sides of the kingdom coin, right? It, the, the parable reminds us that the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand, but it's not yet. It's not yet. The triumphant entry reminds us the king has identified himself. We do know who the king is. The kingdom hasn't come completely. But here's the king. Okay, sorry, that was a long aside. We only made it like four words in. So, verse 28, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. He's leading the way. He's leading the charge. He's set in the direction, right? Walking ahead of his disciples. As they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. And then Jesus speaks. He says, go into the village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So, the story begins with Jesus heading out from Bethany and Bethphage. These towns lay to the east, to the east, that's east, right? To the east of Jerusalem. And they are, they are centers of Jesus' activity when he goes to Jerusalem. Bethany, in particular, is a spot that shows up multiple times during Holy Week. It's Bethany where Jesus is anointed by the woman who breaks open the expensive jar of perfume. Bethany, Jesus is walking back and forth from Bethany when he sees a fig tree that hasn't produced any fruit, and he's hungry, and he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, you darn tree. 
And then the next time the disciples are walking, walking by that tree, the tree is wilted and gone. And, and the disciples say, whoa, Jesus, poor tree, man. Glad you didn't ask me for an apple. <laughs> Bethany, Bethany is this important place. It seems like Jesus, every day of Holy Week, is going into Jerusalem from Bethany and then returning back. So as Jesus is, is going into Bethany, he, he would have been traveling westward. He would have been going uh, westward. And then he, he comes over the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is separated from Jerusalem by a, by a valley that runs north and south, a big long valley called the Kidron Valley. And the Kidron Valley is like a very, a very clear marker for people Anything on the west side of the Kidron Valley is Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. Anything on the east side of the Kidron Valley is not Jerusalem. It's the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus is coming from, from the east, traveling west. And there, the first thing on the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. And so as Jesus comes over the Mount of Olives, and he crests over, he's riding on the donkey. The first thing he sees there, the biggest thing, it dominates the landscape. It's the biggest building by like a hundred times in the city of Jerusalem, the temple. And, and so Jesus, he comes over the, the crest of the Mount of Olives, and right there, he's going right toward the temple. It is the dominant image in his mind. And he goes down the Mount of Olives, it's probably kind of a snaky road because it's a steep, steep hill down into the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley is steep, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a border, you know, it, it breaks things off. So you have to find, pick your way through, there's, there's roads through, and, and then he, he comes back up. As he's going down the, the Mount of Olives, he would have been passing places that were familiar from his story territory that he went over several times, right? Because every day he's going into Jerusalem from Bethany and, and back to Bethany at the end of the day. And so Jesus is, is passing by familiar landmarks, familiar things, things that, that he had been accustomed to every time he had come to, to Jerusalem, probably, as, as a, a Jewish person growing up that made regular trips to, to Jerusalem. He would have recognized the that same old orchard and, and that same little little hut and that same farmer that sure does a nice job and keeps the weeds out. And he, he would have recognized each of those places. He would have passed then, as he's riding on the donkey, he would have passed the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. And he would have passed by that place. And you have to wonder, as, as he's riding past on the donkey and the crowds are shouting Hosanna, you have to wonder if he didn't look over at the at the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and just recognized that he was going to be back there and, and that the crowds wouldn't be saying Hosanna at that point. And so he, he rode the donkey along, along the way that after he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane late Thursday night, he, he rode the same route that the, the guards would have taken him to, to his trial in the high priest's house. It's, it's, the, same, it's the same route. It's the same, same road. 
Well, before all of that, Jesus miraculously knows that there's a donkey. <laughs> he says, go ahead. And it's not probably because he'd done a reconnaissance walk, right? Jesus miraculously knows. He miraculously tells the, the disciples, go ahead and, and you'll find this donkey that's never been ridden before. And he even gives the disciples a script in case somebody complains at them for taking the donkey. And, and the donkey is used on purpose. This is an interesting little, little snippet here, right? That it's a donkey, it's never been ridden before. It's, it's used on purpose to fulfill prophecy that had been given hundreds of years before Jesus' life and ministry about the Messiah that was coming. And, and the prophecy, the specific prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling is from the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Now, Luke, Luke doesn't actually make mention of the, the prophecy. John does. Uh, the prophecy just reminds us of, of Jesus' purposeful action to, to put himself in the, in, the, in the position of being the one fulfilling the prophecy. He is, he is trying to identify himself to anyone who is paying attention. Hey, if you're paying attention and you know Zechariah 9.9, the king, the king is supposed to come on a donkey. He's humble. He's righteous. He's victorious. He's humble. Jesus is, is intending to reveal his identity. He knew who he was, and he wanted anyone who was paying attention to understand, yep, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the one you're waiting for. And so the disciples follow Jesus' instructions. They find everything exactly as he says. We read in verses 32 through 35. It says, So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Jesus, Jesus calls it, you know, Jesus is pretty good at calling shots like this. He's pretty good at, at knowing when, when something's going to, to happen. And I love how Luke is, is just so, like, resigned to it in verse 33. Sure enough, sure enough, everything was like, like, they said, like he said. Sure enough, the people asked, why are you taking that colt? And, and the, follow, the disciples followed Jesus' script perfectly, right? The Lord needs it. And that's enough. Is it interesting that the, there's no, like, which Lord are you talking about? What, what, why are you, what are you saying? You know, that's enough. The, the owners of the donkey, they hear the Lord has need of it, and they say, all right, if you wanted to borrow my pickup and said the Lord had need of it, I'd probably ask a few more questions. But the, the owners of the donkey, they say, have at it. Take it away. It's a little comical. It's a little comical to me to think about the disciples commandeering a donkey and a baby donkey at that for, for Jesus. 
it's a king, like most conquering kings would want, a war horse and a chariot. You know, this, this really is like, like if the president came to town or a, or a king came to town and they wanted to borrow my pickup, like my pickup is a thing of beauty and it's a gift from God and I love it. But it's, it's not a limousine. It's not even clean. I mean, it's, it's old. I love it. It starts every time. Uh, but it's, this is kind of what Jesus was doing. He, he was not choosing the most impressive form of transportation. He was not being carried on the shoulders of servants in the litter. He was not riding on a war horse. He was not in a chariot. He was, he was riding on a donkey. And a, and a little donkey. Like almost undersized, you know. And Jesus does it, of course, to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy. He does it because it's what, what he had to do. It's what, it's what God had, had promised he would do. Now we continue on in, in verses 36 through 38 when we read, As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So the donkey was brought to Jesus. Verse 35, the donkey's brought to him and they lay cloaks on it. Coats, coats, cloaks, coats on it. And then he starts writing, and as Jesus starts writing, everybody spontaneously, it sounds like, begins to throw their coat on the ground in front of the donkey so that not even the donkey's feet touch the ground as it enters into Jerusalem. This, is, this would be maybe akin to us rolling out the red carpet for a VIP. You know, this is, this is rolling, out, rolling out the red carpet. It's throwing down the best. It's, it's making, making the best entrance we can for this, this VIP, this important, important king who is coming. The use of coats is just kind of interesting. It reminds us of an Old Testament story that I'm going to skip. I'm, I'm editing as I think. We'll just skip the story of Jehu, and some other time we'll talk about Jehu, the patron saint of bad drivers. But we'll just skip that for now. The, the people begin to shout and sing. And Luke tells us why they're shouting and singing. And I, I just kind of... It's, this is maybe what struck me most this week as I thought about why they're shouting and singing. They're, they're, we would read this uncritically. We read this as people who live on this side of Easter, right? We live past Jesus' death and resurrection. And we read about Jesus riding into Jerusalem and, and the palm branches and the excitement of the day, and we think, yes, Savior and King is coming to Jerusalem. And, and we can't read it without thinking about Jesus going to the cross and Jesus rising again from the dead. And when, we, when we're raise, waving palm branches this morning, that's the Jesus we're, we're celebrating. The disciples, the followers of Jesus that day, they didn't know. In fact, they, they, they didn't get it. 
right? Jesus had been telling them that he would go to Jerusalem in order to be crucified and he'd raise again, but they never understood that. They didn't understand it the night that Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with them, and he's telling them, I'm going away, and they're saying, what? You're going away? They didn't understand it after Jesus was arrested. They thought everything had, had been blown up. The plan had, had failed when Jesus was arrested. And, and so they, they didn't understand it. They're not, they're not praising Jesus the Savior. Luke, Luke tells us they're praising God because they found a great teacher and maybe the new king. They found this guy that, that does all these cool things. And, and it says the crowds are worshiping him or, or are worshiping God. It's the crowds. It's, it's this broader group of people. It's the disciples and the 70, that group that Jesus sent out to tell people that he was coming. And then the, the crowds, the people that had seen the miracles, the people that had been out too late listening to him and missed a meal. And so Jesus took bread and, and fish and broke it and gave it to him. And they had enough. The crowds, the, these people who, who had seen Jesus give sight to the blind, who had seen Jesus make the sick well, who had seen Jesus heal the lame so that they could walk. Some of these people were probably right there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And all of these people, they're praising God because of of the miracles they have seen. They, they have this context for Jesus. He's a good miracle worker. He's a great teacher. He's a good guy. But, and, and you know, Jesus is intentionally using these royal, this royal imagery. And, and the disciples understand it to an extent. They, they kind of hope that it's true, but they're... They're praising God for the miracles in the moment. The party is, maybe he'll feed us again. And as they, they were in their exuberance, you know, they, they cause a stir. They cause, they cause a stir. They, they use this, this psalm to sing about Jesus. They say blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. This is quoting from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is, is incredible. It's a treasure trove. Uh, this is Psalm 118, verse 26. And, and again, this is, this is royal language, right? This is royal language. Psalm 118, just a few verses ahead of this, before this, talks about the stone that the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There's a lot of hope. Jesus, and then that, that part of the psalm is applied to Jesus and other parts of the New Testament. There, there's so much hope in Psalm 118. And uh, it's, it's incredible as, as they sing these words, the, these words of confidence in God's ability, in, in God's God's anointing of this one who is worthy. They, they, are, they are seeing it with their own eyes. But there's, there's some controversy too. Where would we be without a little controversy? So in verse 39, 
we read, but, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The, the Pharisees, they understand the importance of words. They understand the importance of scripture. And, and they hear Jesus' disciples applying Psalm 118 to Jesus. And, and they say, they never, never were going to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is never the king that they were looking for. They hear the disciples using this language, and they say, Jesus, you know, your life expectancy is, is short and shrinking if your disciples use this kind of language around the Romans. And, and the, the, the Pharisees, they were, they were pretty concerned with that uneasy peace between the Jews and Rome. Uh, they, they, didn't, they knew that anyone making claims to authority over the Romans, that would stir up trouble for all the Jews. That would stir up trouble for, for them. They, they did not want Jesus stirring up the kind of trouble that he was. But they, they force Jesus with their, their, they tell Jesus, rebuke your followers. They force Jesus into saying something that maybe we would have never heard if, if it hadn't been for the Pharisees. Maybe we can thank God for, for the Pharisees here. Because Jesus' response is, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Jesus is worthy of praise. Jesus is worthy of praise. These, Jesus is worthy of the throne that he occupies. Jesus is king over creation, over human, plant, and mineral. Jesus is king. And the disciples, they were celebrating him that day. They, they caused a stir. They shook up the whole city because of the miracles that they had seen. Because they had seen sight given to the blind and, and lame people healed, they caused a stir as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on Holy Week because, because they had seen such great things. But this is before, this is before Holy Week. This is before Jesus went to the cross. This is before Jesus walked out of the grave. So, Christians... If they had reason to shout and praise Jesus, how much more reason have we to praise our Savior? Have we received blessings from his hands? Have, have we been delivered from death? Have we been given freedom from addiction and freedom from the slavery of sin? Have we been given enough when our ends didn't quite meet have we been comforted in the valley of the shadow of death? Have we been forgiven when we didn't think we could forgive ourselves? Have we been given strength to forgive when we were hurt too deeply to describe? We don't have the bodily Jesus here today. We, we can't put him in the back of my pickup and take him down to City Hall to, to take the seat of power, right? We can't do that, but we have Jesus here with us. Jesus is present with us. Do, don't we have reason to praise him? 
We, he has been present with us. Has there ever been a moment when he has forsaken you? Has he brought reconciliation between you and God? Has he brought healing in your relationships with others? Has he given you a place to stand in the presence of God? Has he covered over your sin? Has, has he given you a spirit of victory over sin so you don't have to continue to return to it? Has he loved you with a love that didn't stop even at the cost of his own life? Has he given, has anything ever separated you from his love? Today, today is a day that as believers, we tell the rocks, shut up. We got this. This is our day. We praise our Lord we give him glory and honor. So we're, we're going to continue praising. We're going to sing one more song and we're, we're going to praise him. Why don't you stand, let me pray, let our worship team come and lead us. All praise and glory and honor is yours, most high God, because you have sent your son Jesus to save us. Holy God, we thank you that we can praise you because you have never abandoned us. You have never forsaken us. You have been with us and closer than a friend in times of trouble. You have guided us and directed us in times of doubt. You have comforted us, comforted us in times of hurt and pain and despair. Your love has never forsaken us. You have walked with us every day of our lives and nothing has separated us from your mercy and your love and your grace. We are people who have seen you work miracles in us and around us and among us, and we praise you. We praise you, God. This morning, we, we lift high the name of our Savior, Jesus, thanking you, God, for sending him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.